Good to see all of y'all. Y'all doing good? Awesome. Y'all will, turn me in your Bible. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. We've uh, been in this series for a while now, but we're working our way to the end of that. I plan on us probably being done somewhere around that, what is it? We're coming up on May next week, so probably around that June time. It's going to be good. How many of y'all ready for the summer? Anybody? Yeah? Awesome. I was kind of weak, but awesome. Nonetheless, everybody's getting whoop whoop about the sun in the summer. I got you. Cool stuff. Anyway, as she was mentioning, we got a lot of cool things happening as always. We've had the last couple weeks, by the way, have been overwhelming. Uh, We've had so many different things happening with our uh, celebration on the hill to our Easter sunrise service. I don't know if y'all are a part of that, but that sunrise service saw well over 200 people uh, at 7 a.m. outside coming together to worship the Lord. And so that was a really, really cool time to see that. Some 600 and I think 30 people on that Easter Sunday came to, uh, came to church with us and gave us an opportunity to share the gospel with them. So again, kudos for y'all inviting and just loving people. I mean, that honestly, the authenticity of genuine love overwhelms any other thing that we do as we have a relationship with the Lord. But not only did we have that, we had our Wednesday night service, tons of kids in here and families just worshiping the Lord on the Wednesday night, very stripped down service. We're going to do again one of those in a few months. But also from that, we did, what was it, uh, our marriage conference, 26 couples rocking and rolling in there. And then last Sunday night, we had the benefit for the Pates family at Summer Grove. And so, I mean, we've been trucking along. I think they, here's the cool part, I think they raised a little over $15,000 for their family. And so what I'd like to do, because there's a lot of people in the first service, there's you as well in the second, who maybe weren't able to come to that. Uh, Maybe your first time you're hearing about that. The Pates, Charlie uh, and Jordan Pate, their little daughter Piper has had a lot of medical issues, um, you know, from the pregnancy. And now she's a little over a year old and still has a lot of needs. And I can't find a better way for us to express our love for Jesus and us helping other families in need. Uh, inside of the worship guide, you'll notice there's always like a card. If you wanna fill that out and give directly towards them through the church, please do that today. That would be definitely generous and helpful to them. Or you can go through our website or app and you'll see underneath the tithe section, you can click it and go down and it's gonna say for the Pates or Charlie Pate or something like that. And you can give towards them. Anyway, we just want to make sure we help them. Um, it, it, it doesn't make much sense for us to say we want to help them and we don't help them. So I would encourage you to take part in that and be a part of that aspect of serving and loving that family. One of the things that was mentioned on here is VBS. And I just want to say this now. The reason VBSs are so big here and they work so well here is because so much time and energy is put into them, which means we need all hands on deck. If you have not already signed up for it, as was mentioned on the video, whether you're going for the kitchen and you're like, hey, I don't necessarily want to be hands-on with the kids, or maybe some of you love the children and you want to pour into their lives, like we have a place for you, whether that's rec, you want to hit a kid with a ball, gently, not in the head, right? You know what I'm saying? Where is your spot? The point is, is not to tell me basically, well, there's not a spot. Yes, there is. Uh, We need everybody to be a part of this because that's how we make the difference. That's how we have high impact for the events that we do is by having people who are willing to say, yes, I'll show up. Where do you need me? You know, put me in a spot, coach. Let's do something. And we have some amazing people leading the VBS. So I'm encouraging you, if you have not already done that, please, today, I believe Erica and Jill will be here after the service for you to sign up. um, Or you can do it again online for that. If you will, again, we're in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. We're gonna do our memory verse for the month and getting ready, of course, next week we start a brand new month so we got our new memory verse. If y'all will say it with me. So let us do all we can to what? To live in peace and let us work hard to build up one 
another. We'd have a lot better country. We'd have a lot better churches. We'd have a lot better family relationships if we lived according to uh, Romans 14, 19, if we were doing these things. What we've been talking about from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, all the way through Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18, there's three sections in here. They're large sections, and so obviously we're breaking them apart. But one of the main things we've been talking about is sanctuary, the covenant, right? Christ has inaugurated the new covenant, and now, specifically, we're also talking about the blood of Jesus. Uh, Derek last week said that he got the harder of the two texts from chapter 9, and the answer is yes, he did. I did not choose from the harder text. He just so happened to get the harder text because it really was all about 9, 1 through 10 was all about the way that the old covenant was working as far as the sacrifices and the way that you approach God. And so we're going to make a little bit of sense of that as we're going to recount that and then go into the new part. I get the part where basically we see, but when Christ appeared, right, we see what God has done through Jesus Christ. We see what has happened within our lives because of the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so the text is heavy today on the sacrificial death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, making pure not only externally, but internally, clearing our consciences before God. So Hebrews 11, or chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy place, holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption." For if the blood of the goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of heifer uh, sanctify from the uh, purification of the flesh, how much more, are y'all following that? How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from the dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeemed them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled them on the book itself and on all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood both on the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins." Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these, the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are only a copy of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And that is the word of the Lord this morning. So the motive behind all of this text right here, specifically chapter 9, is what? That the sacrifice of Jesus is what's far superior to any sacrifice of the old covenant. All the old covenant could do with the sacrificing of animals, right, is externally purify the sinner so that they might approach God because that's what we need to see. God has always wanted his people to approach him. He's always wanted us to be in relationship with him, but they were to point to who? It was always to point to Jesus. That's what it was always to go to. And if you look inside of your notes with me this morning, the first little subpoint to looking back at last week's messages, God desired for people to approach him. Like that is the point of sacrifices in general is that God desired you to be able to have a relationship with him even though the sacrifices were what, temporal? And even though they weren't fully effective because they was pointing to the sacrifice that Jesus himself would make. There was the way in which a sinful man could approach a holy God even though, again, it was temporal. See, there's so many times when we recognize like what God's doing here. When you look at the tabernacle, for instance, You see the holy place, and as you're entering in, you see all of the uh, different pieces of furniture and each of the symbolizing different things, and then the holy place goes with the curtain and then goes into the most holy place. The most holy place is where the ark of God, the very presence of God, where two cherub are overhanging their wings, where the glory of God's presence is dwelling, and it says that the curtain was there the entire time. Remember chapter 9, verse 1 through 10, it says, and that curtain stands for this present age, us separated from God, but Jesus, amen, you ready for it? But Jesus, when he died on the cross, gave up his spirit, it says that the curtain was torn from where? Top to bottom, an earthquake, it was cataclysmic, the death of Jesus. It even says that a centurion, who knows nothing of Jesus, but yet saw him, witnessed him on the cross, looked upon him with his own eyes and said, surely this man was innocent. Surely this is a son of God. Surely this is not just an ordinary criminal, even a Roman, even a person who knows nothing about God when he came in direct contact with Jesus said, surely. Surely this is not some mere human being. You see, when you came in, it gave a sense of awe and a sense of reverence. I feel like part of the issue for us today in general is that, yes, come as you are, absolutely. God changes us from the inside out. But in some cases, man, come as you are also means as a follower of Jesus, come with your best. Come with your best on a Sunday. Come with your best when you go to work. Come with your best wherever you go. When you approach God, when you read his word, come with your best. And Malachi, he chastises the people of Israel because he says, listen, you offer to me blemished animals. You offer to me not even the stuff that you would hardly eat, and yet you offer your best to your governors. Could you imagine offering that to them? What would they do? They'd be furious with you. And he says, you offer me what? Tainted worship. I believe today for so many of us, we come to God in such a nonchalant and casual way. Not that we shouldn't come to God at all times. Yes, we should, but at the same time, remember who he is. Remember that he's holy. When you came in the tabernacle, when you came in the temple, what was it to do? It was to cause in your mind to say, man, God is great. And God is powerful. And God is worthy of our worship and worthy of our adoration. And so when you come before him, what do you do? You don't come to him just with this nonchalant attitude. You come with him saying, Lord God, you are worthy of all worship and praise 
and adoration. You are to be highly exalted and lifted high. Secondly, though, here is this. is Not only does God want us to draw near to him, but specifically God is specific about the way people are to approach him. He, he's clear about this. Some people say, well, we're all headed to the same destination. We're all worshiping maybe in just a different way, and we're all worshiping what we call a different God, but we're all headed to the same place. I want to ask you a question. Even on this earth, are we all headed to the same place if we're all going in different directions? And it tells you no. Jesus made it clear. Scripture makes it clear. Jesus is what? The only way to the Father, John 14, 6. Like, there's not multiple ways. If you look at verse 27, check that out for just a second. Verse 27, you're not going to be dying and then coming back as a butterfly. It, it doesn't matter how many lives you thought you might be reincarnated into. You're never going to be good enough for the standard that God has given us. Matthew 5, 48 was not a suggestion. Jesus said you must be perfect. I don't know about you, but I know about me. I'm not even near it. Not even near it. Not even remotely near it. If that was a standard in which I were to be able to speak to you, preach the word of God, I have no business being here. For some of you who know me, you say, that's true. Praise God's grace. Amen? We look at some of these things, and God says specifically how to approach him. Uh, Derek mentioned a few of these last week, uh, Nadab and Abihu, right? It, in Leviticus chapter 10, he talked about two of them, and it says that those were like the next in line. Aaron was their father. He was the high priest, and they were next in line, right? They were serving in the temple, serving the people of God, helping people draw near to him through worship, through sacrifice. And it says in Leviticus 10 that they offered strange fire to God. It means they just said, well, God, I know that you have a right way to do it, but we're going to do it our way. And what did God do? It said fire came out from the very presence of God and consumed them, destroyed them. And you're like, man, why? why? Okay, let's look at another one. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 6, Uzzah. It says when they were carrying on a cart behind uh, animals, it says they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and it says that they were dancing before the Lord and all these different things, but when they were carrying it, they hit a bump, it went sideways, and so Uzzah thought he was doing God a favor, reached out his hand, touched the Ark of the Covenant, and immediately God struck him down. And you're like, why is God so harsh? You know whose fault it was? One Uzzah, true, David's fault. David should have looked into God's word about how do you carry the Ark of the Covenant because it said it clearly in the Torah. It said that it was to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites, the people of God. He thought that, you know what, I'll just carry it however I want to do it. How many of you are good with instructions, by the way? I'm horrible with instructions. Like I'm, like, I'm like the guy you don't invite for the party to put stuff together. Um, my wife actually puts together most of our stuff. I will be a helping hand, but I'm just not that guy. And so like, I don't like to follow instructions. I'm like, I can figure that out. Like 40 pages of instructions, let's be real. Who's gonna read that? Like those are suggestions as far as I'm concerned. And, and the thing is, is like by the end of the puzzle, I end up having like 15 screws over here and, and my product doesn't work because I didn't follow the directions. God's over here telling you, this is how you do it. But David said, I'll just do it however I want. Lord, I love you. We're just gonna bring it on in. God struck Uzzah down because of that negligence. Moses and Aaron, man, golly, these are God's people. I mean, this is God's people, right? Moses and Aaron, they're brothers. 40 years in the wilderness, they're dealing with the rebellious people of Israel. They're trying to kill them. They're telling them, why did you take us out of Egypt? Why did you take us out of slavery? That's what they're arguing with them about. Why can't we go back and eat the onions, right? Why can't we go back to the old way of life? Why can't we go back? 
And Moses is like, why do you keep on rebelling against God when you're complaining it's not against me, it's against the Lord? Don't you understand this? Time and time again, the people of Israel talked trash to Moses and Aaron. They fell before the Lord. And finally, Moses, later on, he, he got fed up. He didn't have his coffee that morning. He wasn't gonna be into it. Any of y'all ever wake up without the coffee? I know you wake up without the coffee, but do you ever not have the coffee? I don't drink coffee, but I do use energy drinks, as you can tell. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's just one of those deals. Like, when he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, I mean, and here's the deal. Moses finally said, you bunch of rebels. I'm sick of dealing with you, man, in a few words in there, but that's what he said. Sick of dealing with you. And the Lord said, speak to the rock, and water's gonna come out from it. And what did, what did he do? He struck the rock twice. Water came out from it, but what did the Lord say to Moses and Aaron after all these years of serving him? You will not enter the promised land because you did not hold me to be holy in the presence of the people. You will not enter into the land that you've been pulling these people from this whole time. You won't do it. Can you imagine how absolutely crushing that was? All of these promises, all the things that Moses had been a part of, and yet God's over here saying, you will not enter because you what? You misrepresented me to the people. Listen, the higher you go up, my friends, my brothers and sisters, the higher you go up, the greater the responsibility, the greater on your shoulders it is as to how you live your life. Listen, we are the people of God. There is nothing insignificant about you. There's nothing insignificant about your job or your status in life, even if you're like, well, nobody knows what I do. God knows what you do. And God is the one who's called you. God is the one who directs your footsteps. Everything about your life is important because it's important to God, amen? Nobody says Amen. Y'all are hard this morning. Fair enough. I'll keep preaching. Think about this. God says this is the way that you come into my presence. This is the way that you approach me. And yet for many people, it's just like it's, it's nonchalant to them. Nonchalant with the way in which they approach God. And third is this, as we look again last week, as we're getting ready for this week, God is holy and we're not. The sacrifices were intended to declare both truths. God's holy and we're not. The sacrifices were intended to show both that God is holy, that we're sinful, and the only way to be in relationship is that our sins might be covered. That our sins might be covered. And that's exactly what God is doing here. He's showing us the way to the cross uh, through his son Jesus that we might know him and be in relationship with him and that there is not just some way you come, it's through Jesus it says in uh, Hebrews 12, 14, not on the screen, it says, without holiness, what? We will not see God. Without holiness, we're not going to see God. You don't just show up. The jokes about Peter at St. Peter's Gate, they're jokes. They're not real. You either are in Christ or you're not. We either are in relationship or we're not. We either are living for him or we're not. And so this is what leads me to the first one this morning as we look at these points. Sin is not a primitive concept. It is an ever-present reality that must be dealt with. Sin is not a primitive concept. It's not something where you say, well, that's just archaic. That's just biblical language. It's not really real today. No, it's lifestyle choices, Josh. You're, you're old. You're out of date you're not culturally relevant. How about this? How about the culture doesn't dictate truth? 
never has, never will. Many things about the culture, if not all things about culture in general, are not of God. And therefore, we either got to choose, are we living for this kingdom now, or are we living for God's kingdom? You know what I'm saying? Like, think about some of the things that today in which people say, well, that's right, that's good. Where basically, if I identify as me as a biological male, identify as a female, would you say, oh, that's right, that's normal? No, it's not normal. No, it's not right. Of course it's not. And you're like, well, you're just picking on one thing. I'm not picking on one thing. We end up saying that, no, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I just love to indulge in it. That is a problem. That is sin. We try to say it's something, well, it's just an addiction. Therefore, I have no control. Listen, we are in control of our actions. We've got to get to a certain point in a certain place to own it. Because listen, if you don't have to own it, and if there's a way to say, you know what, my sin, because it's not as bad as their sin, it's really not that bad at all. All we are doing is pushing it on and not being a man or not being a woman and standing up to say, you know what, I'm going to own it. I'm wrong. We need a lot more of that in this world today. We need a lot more of that inside of our homes where we own it when we're wrong, specifically as parents to our children. When we're wrong, whether it's the way in which we spoke to them or the things in which we spoke to them or the way in which we acted towards them or neglected them, like we need to speak up and say, I'm wrong makes all the difference in the world when you own it because you can clean the slate and then they'll see that you love them rather than them always feeling guilty about why is mom or dad angry with me when in reality it's us. It's us. You see, Oswald Chamber, he said it this way. We have to recognize that sin is a fact, not a defect. Sin is red-handed mutiny against God. Either God or sin must die in my life. If sin rules in me, God's life in me will be killed. If God rules in me, sin in me will be killed. So you can either choose which direction are we gonna go? Who's gonna rule? Who's gonna reign? Who's kingdom? What are we doing? Who are we living for? R.C. Sproul said it this way. Sin is cosmic treason. It's not some little thing. I know, I know it, I get it. All the songs in the world basically make small of sin and look at it as a good time, but it's simply not true. Simply not true. You see, in the Old Testament, specifically what we wrote, read last week, the sacrifices of animals were for what? What kind of sin? What kind of sin? Anybody? Unintentional sin. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have intentionally sinned before, ever? I don't have to ask, all of you. All of you have intentionally sinned. Every single one of you have at one point or another done something that you weren't really sure about, even as a Christian, but you couldn't do it in faith and you still did it anyway. According to Romans 14, even that's sin. I mean, are you, are you following what I'm getting after here? Sin is not something that's just like, well, you're just making up. No, no, no. God has declared definitively what is and what is not. What is true and what is not true. It doesn't matter what this world says. It doesn't matter what our Supreme Court says. It doesn't matter what even the laws of a country say. The laws of our country say right now that you can murder an unborn child pretty much at any point in time that you want. Is that right? Well, according to my opinion, no. Not according to my opinion, but according to the fact of God. Well, that's your own way of looking at it. Well, I don't know how many other ways we need to look at it. I don't know how many other ways we need to spell that sucker out. You're like, but you're picking on stuff. No, I'm calling sin for what sin is. And the sooner we do it as individuals, the sooner we'll be set free. What does it say right here? It says that Christ came to liberate us. What does liberation mean? 
He came to redeem us, which means to buy us with a cost. It means that we were enslaved. It means that the exodus that they saw from Egypt was what? A picture of what Christ came to fulfill, something bigger, not just something temporal where he moves me from one property to another property. No, I've been set free. You, as a follower of Jesus, have been set free from what? The wages of sin and death. We've been set free. What we read a second ago, we have an inheritance We have a future unlike any other. Do not allow yourself to be completely consumed and destroyed by what happens in this life. Listen, we have a good, good God and Father that we serve. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14. It says that the blood of bulls and goats, or goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, right, external. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from the dead, work to serve the living God. Like how much more? How much more? God said, I'm not gonna just whitewash you. You ever have to fight with your kids about brushing their teeth when they're tired at night? Some of y'all, y'all have had kids and it's been too long ago. You're like, my kids always brush their teeth. No, they don't, okay? Your kids are liars, We check our kids. I don't just get them to breathe on me because they know the scope routine. They know where they can go for the scope. And I'm like, nah. We run our fingernail or something through like the the tooth just to make sure, man, if there's anything on there, I'm like, bro, I don't say that to my daughter. That's my son. But I'm like, you're lying. We're gonna deal with this, right? You know what I'm saying? Like at a certain point, but if they just clean the external but they don't clean the internal, and I know that still is superficial. Nonetheless, you get the picture. Jesus is saying, I'm not here just to wipe you clean. I'm not here just to take you, throw on some pretty clothes so on Sunday mornings you can fake it in front of a bunch of people. I'm here to set you free, amen? Like, set you free. Some people like slavery. And you're like, no, 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 they don't. Yes, 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 we do. Because we live it. And we know it's wrong, and yet we still engage in it and wonder why it didn't work out. Called sin. Sin brings death. Sin brings death to all areas of our lives. Don't act like you didn't see it coming. Yes, you did. But we like the temporal rather than the eternal, and therefore we live for the short term rather than for the long term. And so many times we see ourselves headed off the cliff and we just keep on rolling, even with a smile sometimes. See, what did he do? It says he appeared to us. Listen, we never know that we need the doctor until we can recognize it. Listen, you will never respond to the gospel. A person that you know that you've been praying for, they will never respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ until they recognize the weight of sin. It is when pastors downplay sin that people continue to thrive inside of a building, but yet lives are not changed because they see no need for the doctor. They see no need for the medicine. My dad is a great example of this. He's probably one of the most stubborn people when it comes to doctors that I know. And you're like, well, you don't know a lot of people. I know enough people to know. He's extremely stubborn when it comes to going to the doctor. Like, he's literally got to be dying before he goes. Um, Anyway, so like, he finally, a few months ago or a month or two ago, he finally went to get his knee replaced. Finally. And you're like, man, that's a big deal. Yeah, but... You have no idea how many years he's been going, basically hobbling on his knee, icing it when it really hurts, and just just keep going. And so finally a year ago, we went to Alaska together and hunted, and man, it was one of those times where I was like, Dad, I don't know how how many more indicators you need, but like you can't keep doing this without messing up your other good knee 
if you don't get the left knee fixed. And so finally, after telling him, he's like, son, I'll know when it's the right time. <laughs> How many of y'all got parents like that? They always know better than you. Even if you get your degree in something, they're still smarter than you in that area, right? I know, I know. And I was like, dad, no, you, I mean, you need to go get it at least checked out, son. When it's time, it's time, I'll go. And I'm like, okay. Everybody's been telling him the same thing. Finally, he goes. Finally, he gets it. And if you weren't here in the first service, he was here. He always parks his truck at the very far end of the parking lot because he's like, I'm gonna walk all the way up here. And ain't nobody picking me up on that golf cart. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna walk all the way up here and he's doing great and he's doing good. He finally did it. But guess what? That pain had to get so bad and so real that he finally said, enough is enough. Some of y'all need to stop being fake saviors and allow some of the people in your life to fall flat on their face so they can finally recognize their need for Jesus. Too many of y'all are allowing soft cushions for people that should have hit their teeth a long time ago. You know what? I just don't want to let that happen. Sooner or later, if you don't let it happen, it's going to be far worse than it could have been if you would have dealt with it when it was young. We've got to, at times, do the right thing, which is the loving thing, even when we know it hurts, and some people are going to be really angry about it. We've got to do that which is true, which is right, which is what? It's loving. Because if we don't, we are no different than the parents who allow their children to manipulate them at the very end of the aisles while they have all of the candy there, and they go, ah, go nuts. And we just again, we're like, finally, enough is enough. Here, take the candy. But we do it with adults. And therefore, adults never grow up. It's the Peter Pan syndrome, but it's not cute. It's not funny. And Neverland isn't real. We just happen to live with them in this land. You know what I'm saying? It's not until we recognize our need. It's not until we recognize our need for a savior that we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus not with any pride, not with any arrogance, not with, hey, I'm bringing something to you. No, we come to Jesus with God. I need you. I got nothing to offer. God, I need you. Secondly is this, Jesus' sacrificial death atoned for our sins, thus making a way for us to receive the promised inheritance. This is good stuff. Like, we have an inheritance. Stonewall is getting harder and harder to live in for a lot of people. And I don't mean that it's getting worse. I mean, it's actually nice. Uh, the same people who don't like people moving in here are the same people who also want to get a grocery store. The same people who want the grocery store also don't want people moving in here. But the same people who want the grocery store have to have people move in here to get the grocery store. I know. It's a catch-22, right? But it's getting harder and harder for people to what? To find land and to do all these other things, to have space to spread out and do all that, Right? Because magically in this area, for one reason or another, school, I guess, uh, it's gold uh, for one reason or another. But the deal is, is that we have an inheritance. An inheritance that is far greater than whatever you have temporal. Because I know every single one of us in one form or fashion, like we are limited with what we can do. We're limited with the amount of money that we have. We're limited with the amount of life that we have left. We're limited with the amount of ability to reason things out. Uh, we're limited, Right? There's so many things inside of each of us. We're like, man, I don't even think twice about it anymore. I don't even dream about it because I know it's out of reach. Even as a kid, you had certain things, man, I'm passionate about that. I'm gonna go after it. Well, then you realize like it wasn't a reality for you. It didn't work out that way. Listen, we as the children of God are to what? Inherit the earth. We as the children of God have an eternal inheritance. Therefore, it's not as though you're limited by the time duration that you're here. It is forever. And ever, and ever with a new resurrected body and a new resurrected heaven and earth. Listen, if we can send a rover over to Mars 
If we can send spaceships into the sky, if we can send satellites left and right, if we can do all of these things in a fallen creation with fallen people who do not work together very well, who are always trying to get ahead of one another at the expense of the other person, if we can do that, can you imagine what the new heavens and new earth is gonna be like? Where there's no more curse, there's no lack, your money's no good, I mean, are you following that? Do you, do you ever just think through it to set you free from a lot of times? Because it can set you free from being envious of other people. It can set you free from being covetous. It, it can set you free from this internal bitterness that it didn't turn out right for me. You can endure, which is what Hebrews is all about. You can endure some of the most stressful, painful Wrong situations in your life simply because you know that the here and the now, how many ever years you got? Look at verse 27 again. It's appointed. God's got an appointment for you. Nobody wants to hear this either. An appointment. You had an appointment to be born. You have an appointment to die. It's appointed for us to be here for a duration of time. And if we do not have something that's greater than the temporal pain, then we'll give in. But, but, if we have our minds, our hearts, our soul, our strength given unto the Lord, we will endure to the end. See, for a lot of us, we see what we have here and we're just like, God, it's so little. God, I don't make the impact that I'd like to make. God, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't changed the life that I thought I was supposed to change and all, all these different things. And God's over here saying, you're putting pressure on you that I never put on you. You're putting expectations on yourself that I never put on you. Be faithful where you're at. Have you, have you just thought about that? You know how freeing that is? Be faithful with where you are. Keep praying and seeking with where you think God has you to go, but be faithful with where you are because that's what God requires of you. The result is up to God. You've got to be faithful in the season that you're in, in the place that you're in. That's where we have to be faithful. That's God's word to us. We have an eternal inheritance to receive. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It's on the screen behind me. 1, verse 7, 11, 13, and 14. Check this. If you, if you need a verse or a couple of verses this week to meditate on, here you go. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his what? Of his grace. In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the counsel of his will. How many things? How many things? All things. You know that God even uses bad people using bad means to create good things? That's Romans 8, 28. For we know that God works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Go back to Genesis 50. Look at it later. Remember what the brothers said to Joseph? Joseph said to his brothers, I know that what you meant for my evil, for my demise, I know what you intended for evil, God, what he intended it for good, for the what? For the saving of many nations. Even that which is broken, even that which is wrong, even those things, God is a God of redemption. God uses it all. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that's the good news, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I'm telling you right here, 
The Spirit of God lives in us. We've been set free from sin. We've been promised an inheritance, and because of the Spirit of God, it's a guarantee. Nothing, nothing breaks that guarantee. Nothing stops it. Remember, remember Paul, Romans 8? He's like, what can separate us from the love of God? He gets after it. Nothing. What can hinder that relationship? Nothing. What can stop it? Nothing. So who are we? Philippians 3.20. We are citizens of heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are we? You are not ordinary people. There's no ordinary people. Nations disappear. How many civilizations have disappeared? Well, far more than you know. Many of which are still archaeological digs, right? Animals, species, they disappear. They're gone. People, it says, are created in what? In the image of God. And therefore, it's destined for man to do what? Die once. And then judgment. What did Jesus do? Come on, church. Are y'all ready for it? What did Jesus do? Jesus died. He became sin. He became a curse. He hung on the tree so that we might what? Become the righteousness of God. Therefore, we die what? Physically once. Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life. And therefore, we go from what? We die and we live. That should make you solid in your faith. Solid in adversity. Solid in seasons of difficulty, enduring till the end. And that's why we need to hear it again and again and again. Because what should we be getting excited for? Third point in close right here. It is only right to be expectantly awaiting the return of our king. It, it, it only makes sense. It only makes sense to get excited about the coming of Jesus. Yet for a lot of people, it's just like, well... I do want him to come, but I, I kind of would prefer him to wait a little, little while. What? And you're like, Josh, but your kids. One, seven, ten. They got so much ahead of them. The kingdom of God? Like, God's presence, you're telling me that you want me to stop that? You're telling me that I want to delay that for them? The coming of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, like God himself, the very reason that my heart beats, like you're telling me that you want me to say, God, I want you to stop. We've got forever, forever to enjoy all See, if you have a small view of God, then you also have a small view of eternity, and therefore you think you're going to be doing nothing. You're going to be bored out of your mind. You don't know Scripture, and you don't know God if that's how you feel about it. I'd love to spend time with you. The stuff you love now can only be better there. And the stuff that you love now that's sinful, you won't love it there anymore, for there is no sin. There is not even a desire any longer. There's so much about me that I'm so ready to be gone so much about the way that I think, the way that I act, sometimes the way that I speak, that I just, I'm ready, Lord, to take that away, and yet God says it, no problem. There will be no curse in the new heaven and new earth, no pain, no death, none of it. Only goodness, only blessing. Look what it says in verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, that's already been done. 
Some people are like, I just need a sign from God. What, is, what, what else do you need? Is the cross not enough? Of course it is. Not to deal with sin, but to what? Save those who are eagerly waiting for him. How many seniors are excited to graduate, right? There's some, there's a few in here this morning that are excited. Why, why is a senior excited to graduate? Tell me that, why? A senior is excited to graduate because it's a commencement. Commencement means that life's not over, it's the beginning. That's what a commencement means, a commencement address, right? They're excited because they're heavily invested 13 or 14 of the last 17 to 18 years of their life has been what? Inside of a school, inside of a classroom, inside under the tutelage of some teacher and assistants and different people, right? Like they're heavily invested. I, I, they haven't had a normal graduation in a while now. <laughs> I, is the, this graduation going to be normal? Anybody? No? Fair enough. So weird. Okay. Two years ago, there was still a normal one. I went to it. Dude, people are wild, man. They tell you not to clap. <laughs> man, you got some of those families. They ain't clapping. Yeah, that's my girl. Woo! You know, they're going nuts. They have the air horns and they're told not to use the air horns. And if you're sitting behind the person with the air horn, you can't hear anything after that. Like, it's just in your face. They're super excited. And I know I'm a killjoy. I'm over here like, weren't they supposed to graduate? Like, I mean, this, I mean, it's good. But, you know, some people just go nuts. And I'm like, that's good. That's good. I'm excited too. Why are the parents going crazy? They're not walking on stage. You know how much time they invested in that child? You know how much energy they invested in that child? North Dakota girls are going to state. Parents, fans, crazy. Why? Are they on the field? No. But they've invested so much time and so much energy and so much encouragement in there to see the process going. They've invested it. They're into it, right? I did a wedding last night. It was so cool. The, uh, the, The groom, yeah, the groom. That dude was so nervous. It was awesome. Like, every now and then you get some grooms out there, and he's so, he was, like, legit worried about passing out. It was cool. Um, his, his groomsmen, uh, I, I mentioned them in the first service. Uh, they need to come to know Jesus for sure, but um, they were no help at all. They were no help whatsoever, and I was, I was finally like, all right, shut up, get out. <laughs> like, I mean, he was, it, was, it was awesome, though. And you're like, why is that awesome? Because he cares, like, that's his woman. That's his future. That's his girl about to walk down those aisles. That's her. Why was he so excited? He's heavily invested. A lot of time, a lot of energy. Took 36 months to get there. A lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of years ahead, right? A lot of memories yet to be made. The daddy uh, bride dance, daddy-daughter deal. Man, it was so cool, because like, I had messed with him when the wedding got started because they you know, hand off the bride. And man, I, I told him before, y'all should shake hands. You know, that, I think that would be like, a, it's a showing of respect, right? And so they shook hands. It was awesome. The dad, he shook his hand all right, tight. <laughs> and he stared at him. And man, why? 27 years invested in his little girl. That wasn't something small he was handing off. From a baby keeping them up in the middle of the night to a toddler learning how to take their first steps to a young child going to school for the first time to a teenager to a college student to a young adult. He meant what he was doing. He didn't take it lightly. He didn't make a joke out of it. He cared. And when they had that dance, oh, it was the coolest thing ever. They had that dance. I don't know where they chose that song from, but it was a good one. They couldn't just the dad 
daughter staring at each other, right? And there's no telling what he was saying to her, but I had, I'm sure it was like, I'm proud of you, I love you. And then at the very end of the dance, they hugged one another, man. And he did not, it was tight, it was tight. And she about had to like almost run out of there because she was crying so much. Why, 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 why? Joyful occasions, best day of her life, right? Something like that, why, why? So much invested in that moment and in that relationship, so much. Y'all ready for it? When we eagerly long for the coming of Jesus, there's a reason why we do it. It's because we're heavily invested in it. Look inside your notes, last little sub point here. If being in God's presence forever lights your fire, right, gets you excited, you are heavily invested. Heavily invested. How? How? Because, man, you think about it. You long for the day. You long for the coming of Jesus. You long for that. It's important to you. His love, it's important to you. Him being proud of you, it's important to you. Why? Because you're heavily invested. Now let's do the reverse. If you don't long for the coming of Jesus, not even a really a thought, maybe a side thought, then you're not heavily invested. If the things of God, Sunday is more of a have to than a get to, maybe not heavily invested. Reading God's word is difficult, torturous maybe, not heavily invested. But y'all see how I'm, I'm flowing with that? What's your priorities? What gets you going? What gets you excited? Don't wait until you get excited if I'm describing you on the back end of this. Begin to do the things which cause a person to be what? Heavily invested in the things which truly matter for all of eternity. Because here's how scripture does it. Scripture compares the coming of Jesus for those who are believers as what? A marriage feast. Not a boring one. Not one where they tell you to sit still and don't move your hips. No, no, no. An exciting one. Filled with joy, laughter, feasting, food, all of these things, all of these things. God's saying, when he comes, for those who love him and are called according to a purpose, it is joy, unspeakable. And that's where he says in Psalms 11, 16, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life, in your presence, there is what? It's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen and amen.